Hello and welcome back to the Points of View podcast. I'm your host, Adam, and today we bring you an activist artist to say the least, Sabra Williams, who's received international acclaim for her work as an actor, host, and co-founder of the Actors Gang Prison Project, including being named by President Obama, a champion of change in 2016, and being honored with the British Empire Medal for Services to the Arts and Prison Reform by Queen Elizabeth in 2018. Sabra is a co-founder of Creative Acts, a social justice initiative that uses the arts as the tool for transformation. Creative Acts has civic engagement programs in juvenile facilities with a new virtual reality arts reentry program in adult maximum security prisons for people returning after the life sentences. Please enjoy this conversation with Sabra Williams. Thank you so much for joining us today on Points of View. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. You and I met and worked together for years within a local theater company. I wanted to know a little bit more about your experience as an actress, about your background. Maybe you can tell us some of your highlights. Obviously, as you can tell, I'm not from here. I'm an immigrant. I'm from the UK. I grew up in a theatrical family. I was dancing since I was three ballet, jazz, and contemporary dancer, which I loved, the closest thing to flying. And as I was going along as a dancer, as a professional, I was a professional as a teenager, so I didn't get to go to college. I started getting quite a lot of acting work. And so I would book a job and then I would get a dance job and I hadn't been in class, so I'd get injured. So I had to make a decision when I was the right old age of about 23 or 25, I had to make a decision whether to continue being a dancer or to stop and just continue doing acting. So I decided on acting, much longer career. Yeah, I didn't really look back. I was classically trained. I, did, I worked for the English Shakespeare Company. And that's when I first started working inside prisons with the English Shakespeare Company. So I came to America on what's called an exceptional ability green card, a career-based green card. Came here as an actor, not to try and make it in Hollywood, because I've never really believed in making it, what people think is making it as an actor. I just like to do good quality work. (laughs) And um, moved here really because we were too comfortable. And I don't think it's good for artists to be comfortable. So moved to LA with a little baby and my husband and started all over again, literally from nothing and started working up quite a lot as an actor doing film and TV. Never thought I would ever do theater of a good quality because LA is not regarded as a theater town, even though it is. Um, And then I discovered the Actors Gang and joined the Actors Gang as an actor, Tim Robbins Theatre Company in Culver City, and was there, ended up being there for 13 years, and was able to play some fantastic roles and tour the world. The transition that you took from being this professional actress to creating uh, nonprofit organizations, to working in prisons and to, you know, working with juveniles, what was that inspiration? Like, where did that calling come from? I have never seen them as separate, actually, to be honest. I think artists have a responsibility. It's a privilege and a joy to be an artist. And I think we have a responsibility. I've always seen art being an artist as a a social justice work. And I think it has been forever. You know, Commedia dell'arte, the original actors in 15th century um, Italy, were social justice activists and were arrested and sometimes executed for their work. 
Um, so as long as there's been acting, theatre, which is forever, it's been social justice work. And so for me, when I came to America and I started to learn about mass incarceration, I actually still, I still to this day can't believe the facts and figures and data. I was like, that just can't be true. That, that, why would a country do that? That can't be right. And then, I, you know, I found out that it was, in fact, the truth of this country. And um, as an actor at the Actors Gang, I started to notice how their style, European theatre style of work, was starting to affect me. And so when I hit this massive wall of data, I was like, well, how, what can I do? Because I've been raised to not just sit there and be outraged, but to take action. What do I have to contribute to this monstrosity? And I was like, well, all I have is acting. I'm an actor. That's all I have to give. So um, I went to Tim Robbins and asked him if he had anything, engagement, outreach I could be a part of, and they didn't have anything for the prison system. And he asked me to start something. And that's literally how I started the prison project. Googling prisons in California um, was how it started. And, you know, on a wing and a prayer, I literally had no idea what I was doing. But I did what I think I had to my advantage I had faith in the power of the arts to make change I know that the arts can transform I was a volunteer we were all volunteers at the beginning for four years trying to build this thing because that was 15 years ago and there was no social justice movement in this country no one was funding this prisons were three times overcrowded nobody cared it was all completely invisible you know there were no stories on NPR or documentaries it was literally working in the dark and I think that the development of the prison project came really of making lemonade out of lemons because we were in the situation where we were in the recession at that time. And so there was no programming. There wasn't even NA or AA, nothing, just our program because we were volunteers and we never had funding anyway, so we weren't looking for it. And so we, the only thing on this prison yard was our program. And so these men were changing so radically. And because there was nothing else, we knew it had to be the work. And so I guess to me, that was just, you know, such proof of the power of the arts. And so from there, we started, you know, we've always gone in as partners, not as professors, as I say. We work equally with the people we work with. We don't just come and fill them up with information. We make a proposal in the class of maybe a theater exercise, and then they take it and they make it into something. And so the curriculum's developed from that. And so for the last 15 years, we've centered people who are or were incarcerated. And this program has gone from this one of three tiny little, you know, programs in California to the gold standard of arts and corrections. And Tim and I were also able to lead the charge to get a line item in the state budget to actually fund these programs. And um, out of that, all 35 prisons now have arts programming. The prison system overall in Europe and many other countries, including places like Uganda, that people don't tend to think of, is um, leaning more towards rehabilitation. America, the system here is entirely punitive. That's the, they, we talk about rehabilitation, we have a bunch of programs, 
but we're still just on the cusp of changing the narrative around people who are systems impacted. This country wants to punish people from the minute they get arrested until the moment they die. You're not allowed to vote. You, you can't get government housing when you come back. You can't get a job. All of these things that continue the punishment for people who've already served their time. So it's very different. If you look at somewhere like Norway or Germany or Sweden, you know, the maximum sentence is 21 years. And, you know, the amount of the percentage of the population they incarcerate is tiny. And people like to say it's because it's homogenous. Those people have not been to Europe in the last 10 years. Europe is not homogenous. I'm curious what kind of projects that you were able to create when you're working with the incarcerated youth. Were you creating plays? Were you creating stories? Were they writing? Were you writing? What, what exactly, how did that work for you? Creative Acts is a social justice arts organization, which is something that hasn't been there before. And so what we are doing is we using the arts in the process. So we're not trying to teach people how to be artists. We're using all of the arts to give people tools to make different emotional choices, to be job ready, to transform trauma. Um, and it's something that the kind of philosophy underlying creative acts is also why I'm writing a book about this work. In America, we understand the arts as being for artists or for entertainment. We don't understand the essential nature of the arts to have a, a thrive as a human being like indigenous cultures do. You know, as in, in indigenous cultures, we as artists are considered shaman. The, art, the arts are medicine. And so if we understood that in this country, the arts would be in the core of the school day. We would target artistic practice to people who are self-described non-artists. So I say all of this to say that this is the philosophy that undergirds creative acts. And so our two, well, we have three programs, but our two main programs are working in LA County children's prisons and they call them camps and halls because it sounds so much nicer, but they're really, they're children's prisons. So we have a program called Art Attacks where we go in as a civic engagement arts program and we go and do an arts workshop with them. Right now we're doing it on this crazy thing, but it's meant to be in person. And um, we do theater exercises. We do written work. We do painted work. They make protest signs that say my vote is. We do a really fun history of voting queers and they get snacks if they get it right. That's their favorite bit. And then, so basically what we're trying to do is to get them to realize their own power and the tool of voting to make change in their communities. Because although they've been able to vote inside prisons since 2017, um, only 35 of them voted in the first year out of like 900 kids. When we went in, the ones that we worked with, 86% of our kids voted afterwards because not a miracle, just because the power of the arts teaches different ways to learn and also it helps them to understand their potential. And so now we work with March for Our Lives. I don't know if you know March for Our Lives, a youth uprising that came out of a shooting in Parkland in Florida. So they're a national youth uprising and we work with them. And so our kids can come back and continue their civic engagement work and become leaders in their community and change their community. So that's kind of one thing we're doing. The other program is a re-entry program on maximum security yards. So we... Try, we're trying to change the narrative around re-entry for it to start while people are still inside. And so the reason we chose virtual reality is because when my people have come back, they've always said, if you've served a life sentence on multiple decades, 
you can't do anything in the world. The whole world is computerized. So you can't pump gas, can't check out at a supermarket, can't even wash your hands or flush the chain in a toilet unless you know how to use computerized, you know, machines. And so we thought, what if we bring those outside experiences in and then surround it with artistic practices like theater, drawn art, written art, to help deal with the, to transform trauma and to deal with the worries they have about coming back. And the thing with VR is it works on your brain as if you've had the experience. So you can add anything to VR. We're going to add conflict resolution, parenting, job readiness. We're going to go into solitary confinement and work with them to give them tools for behavioral change. And so this is the beginning of a new thing. But as always, I'm making a new path. (laughs) So we work with people who are incarcerated, children who are incarcerated in L.A. County, Adults, the VR program is for people who served life sentences in men. Well, this one is a men's maximum security prison. It will eventually roll out to everybody. We're working with women who are returning. Eventually, we would love to have, you know, a house for them as they return. Um, and then we work in the reentry space in the community as well. Yeah, my partners inside have more courage and more determination to change their lives than anybody else I know. The very first day we started the prison project on June 6, 2006, we did a four-hour class in a prison. And by the end of the four hours, there was the transformation was astounding. So I always say everything good I've learned has come from working inside prison. They've, they've shown me how to be a better person, how to be a better actor. You know, I'm not worried about them. <laughs> Those are not the people that are hard to teach empathy to because mainly people who get incarcerated are from communities that have never been invested in. They've never had the opportunities. Most of them have never had access to the arts. So they, you know, they've been in schools where there's only one very narrow way to learn and their schools are always underinvested and, you know, given the least of everything. So they have one very narrow way to learn. We all do in this country. There's only, you know, teach to the test. And so they've had that experience. Plus they have trauma. So they've grown up in communities where they have a lot of um, exposure to gang violence or just, you know, gun violence. And so um, they're already traumatized and they've not, they're not successful at school often because of that. And so when they have access to the arts and a different avenue for learning, it's like pouring water on wilting flowers. They're just like, oh my gosh, I never knew that I was capable of this. You know, people who get incarcerated have very low expectations put on them and they meet those low expectations. And when we come in with high expectations, they meet those too. And it's literally, the change is so fast and so profound and so long lasting. It's amazing to me, humbling. But it's the documentaries that have made a change. The 13th, you know, when they see us, the books, the new Jim Crow, you know, those are the things that have really started to make a difference. And then also people coming back from prison and having an opportunity to get the microphone for once, you know, and talk about their stories. That has definitely helped. The social justice movement, the criminal justice reform movement that happened under President Obama, 
that has helped a lot because we've been able to, you know, speak publicly about it. So I think that we've come a long way in the last 15 years that I've been doing this work. But we also, because of the society we live in, the social justice movement has also got a lot of issues in it. You know, a lot of people who are so-called influencers or people starting to try to make it a career or, you know, trying to make their image on it or make money off it. It's, it's an issue. It's an issue. Or not allowing people with, with lived experiences to be the people who are centered and who run these organizations. That's an issue. So it's changing. And also because humans are involved, if we're not doing the work ourselves, inside ourselves, we're always going to end up being corrupted. Our theater is corporate. Our theater in this country has been run by white men. And, you know, we charge a whole lot of money to come and see, you know, shows on Broadway, whatever. It's super exclusive. Why we think that, you know, working class or poor people are going to give a damn about theatre when it doesn't tell their stories and the people on stage don't look anything like them. And so until we, you know, tell the stories of our communities, until we look like our communities, and the film industry is just as bad, if not worse, and TV is getting there, but also terrible. But until we decide to do that, why should people care about the arts? You know, and so I'm talking about our inner work is checking ourselves, you know, self-reflecting. Am I really doing what I say I care about or am I trying to be famous and make money? doesn't mean you can't be famous and make money, but it just means on that journey, what am I, am I walking my talk? Are you willing to change your board, which is 99% of it, always all white? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to step down as artistic director and let a BIPOC person lead? Are you willing to actually do that? Because if you're not, you're not doing the work. And that's what I say is doing the work. If you're going into prisons or communities that are not your community, are you colonizing them? Are you coming in with all the information, just putting your information on them? Or are you partnering with them? Are you allowing them to teach you as well as you teach them? These are all indications of doing or not doing the work. I'm I'm involved with several groups trying to hold people accountable. It's just like the way the social justice movement went. People are freaking out that they're going to get called on the carpet, which they should be, and they will be if they don't want to make change. But the way that they're trying to avoid it is, oh, shoot, let's just get a bunch of BIPOC people in to be like, you know, in the cast of the next show. Or let's just do an August Wilson show. Let's put an August Wilson show into our season. People think that that's the answer. And all that's doing is giving them a beard and the, you know, white supremacist culture gets even more embedded behind that beard. So for me, what I am interested in calling out is where the seat of power is, who makes the decisions. I don't care if you do an August Wilson show. If your board is, you know, as diverse as your community, then your board can decide to do August Wilson or to not do August Wilson. Right. I don't care about that. I do care. Where is the power? Right. Because it's not a put a bandaid on it, let's forget yeah. about it, and it's fixed kind of thing. But that's what's happening right now. We're freaking out. And so hope it's not just black people's responsibility. Right. But I hope white allies are saying also, hey, you guys are not doing the work. All you're doing is changing the front. But that's right. not the work. Right. And it does take courage 
to be able to speak to power and be able to put your your reputation on the line. I've been called all kinds of things as a woman and a woman of color that men are never called. But you know, I'm fine with that. I've got to the place where I'm fine with that. But I'm noticing even progressive people are not ready to do the work that's coming our way because we are going to have to do some kind of truth and reconciliation or you know a national push for transformation racial transformation that starts with the truth bit <laughs> that's kind of the easy bit in some ways but it's the transformation part and you know so many people are not we're not, we're not there yet and it's going to be very painful and that's why we're going to use the arts in the process and so, you know, it's enjoyable as well as being, as well as being difficult. <laughs> right. As a professor now at UCLA and at USC, what kind of teachings do you want to impart on your students? I always say to my partners, my student partners, I only have one thing to teach you, and that's how to do your work. That's it. That's the only thing I have to teach you. I didn't go to college and they're always like super shocked and I'm probably a little upset <laughs> that their professor didn't go to college. But, you know, I always say I did go to the University of Life. And by the way, I have a PhD from the University of Life. So it, I may not have paid for it in the same way you paid for it, but I have paid for it. I have paid for it. And um, I think that that's, you know, we talk a lot in this country. This is what people are scared about merit and experience people are like oh you know well i have merit you know and i have all these years of experience why should i give somebody who's black you know the same opportunities as me when they don't have any merit or experience well i don't have merit either i don't have any degree at all and yet i'm teaching at these two colleges because of my experience which is not the same experience as people who are professors who came up the traditional way so you know i feel very very strongly that most of our work is about transforming culture and you know if we're looking at truth and reconciliation the truth bit is the hardest bit and for instance creative acts is a flat organization i've worked in a lot of hierarchies i don't like hierarchies and i've also recognized that they're so much easier than to be in a hierarchy someone just tells you what to do if you do it well you get promoted if you don't you get told off or fired and you work your way up and you get paid more as you go up we don't do that at creative acts every single person comes in at the same rate the same hourly rate myself as the executive director to the executive assistant we all get paid the same we all have you know input into everything that we do and we're trying like i say to create this new path it sounds so lovely, all these things. It's so hard to do because you're constantly pushing against culture. So I think that what I want my students to do is to think differently. Find out the reality of the history and the facts of being present and then think differently about what it could be. And you do that by developing vision. So my entire thing is I teach you this one thing that's it. How to do your work. That's it. They're very disappointed, I think. <laughs> they thought I was going to teach them something much better than that. <laughs> but actually, I think that's really an amazing lesson because I think it, I feel inspired that the work is really, you know, so important what everyone is doing 
to help make baby steps to make this change happen. It's going to take everyone to be part of that. And I think everyone has their own stories to tell or to support or to collaborate or, you know, there's so many branches to supporting someone. And I think that feels like the best piece of advice for anyone as a filmmaker is like, do the work, you know, do the work, tell the story and change will hopefully be the result. Yeah. And with that teaching, the choice is in their hands. So you've given them the tools right. and yeah. they can make with it as they wish. And guess where I learned that? Prison, where I learned everything. <laughs> I need to be a t-shirt. <laughs> I learned it in prison. <laughs> Absolutely. That would sell. Tabra, thank you so much for your time yeah. and your energy. We are so grateful. Thank you. I'm so honored to be part of this. And, you know, thank you for listening and supporting. I appreciate it. Amazing. Thank you so much. And you have a wonderful day. Thank you. Have a great class. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Hi, this is Monica with Points of View Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave us a review. As you know, Points of View Podcast is the official podcast of Moving Parts Film Festival. We've completed our fall selections and we'll be back next year in 2021. To learn more, visit our website at www.movingpartsfilmfestival.org. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.